And welcome in to the 1010XL.com podcast network. Ryan the Hacker Green with you. Glad you are with us on this edition of Gator Bites. Joined, as always, by Denny Thompson of the Sports Den. You get him every night here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Denny, the middle of April. I know you've been a very busy man the last couple weeks. I'm grinding, man. Loving it. Loving it, though. Loving it. It's a busy time of year. Um, But for me, this is football season. So for me, the way that quarterback training, our our business works is we're in the middle of our season Mm -hmm. right now. And and – we stop when the kids report. So we're actually working a lot harder than the kids are for the next couple of months, just getting them prepared and ready to, whether it's middle school, high school, um, college or pro, uh, just getting them ready for their season. But freaking love it. Man. Yeah, spring football in full swing. Obviously, we'll spend a lot of time here on Gator Bites talking about the orange and blue game. High school football here locally as well in full swing. We'll talk about Carson Beck a little bit as Denny actually went to some red and black territory this mm-hmm. past weekend up at the University of Georgia. But this is a Gator podcast. Denny, let's focus first and foremost on the orange and blue game. Basically, no defense was played with the exception of a couple of pick sixes. Uh, what, 60 to 35, I believe, was the final score. But the big story coming out of it, it's a spring game. you got to keep that in perspective. But Felipe Franks looked very, very good. Over 300 yards passing and four touchdowns. Gator fans, I think, much more optimistic now about Felipe Franks than maybe they were a few months ago. Um, yeah, it it's everything I hate about spring games. It's and I get that a lot of people don't get to go to a practice and all that kind of stuff, but it's literally what we've been talking about on this podcast for the past three weeks is it's Felipe Franks is at a different level. He's at a whole nother level right now than most everybody else that I've seen across the country. And he's going to do well. That spring game was scripted. Um, it was, there was a bigger point to the spring game, just like there's a bigger point with every spring game that you watch and that is to show something that you want to show and nothing that you don't want to show, right? And so I think where Florida is right now is they're in good they're in a good spot as long as they don't have any injuries up front. And even if they don't have any injuries up front, and I'm talking about the, the big guys up front, offensive line, even if they don't, they, they still may struggle up there. Um, but from a skill position standpoint, they're as good as they've been since Urban Meyer left. And we'll talk about the big uglies along the offensive line. Dan Mullen had some comments, some interesting comments about that position. But but to the quarterbacks again, real quick, Felipe, the guy was benched, Denny, in November yeah. during the Missouri game. He was flat out benched, and Kyle Trask was going to have every opportunity to play. He got injured the week of the South Carolina game. Felipe comes back in for South Carolina. Quite frankly, was bad in the first half, and then I don't know what happened at halftime of the Florida-South Carolina game, but the second half of South Carolina, obviously Florida State, Michigan in the bowl game, now all the way through spring, it has been a different Felipe Franks. You train quarterbacks. It's what you do for a living. Did the light come on? Did the fact that he got benched motivate him? I mean, what's your opinion as to why Felipe is different now than when we saw him in early November. If the fact that he got bench motivated him, then that's that's concerning. Um, that if he wasn't motivated before, I'm gonna give you a couple different scenarios here. Uh, that actually we've I've never talked about this with anybody. Actually, um, there's a couple different things that could have happened, and I don't know which one it is. One, yes, 
the proverbial light could have come on. But it's not just as simple as, hey, he went to his locker and sat down and went, ding. Like, like somebody <laughs> could have explained. I think everybody thinks that coaches go in there and peel paint, like yelling, you know. But somebody actually could have explained something in a way that they had not explained it previously, and it could have went, oh, okay, I got it, right? And as silly as that sounds, like we see it in our quarterback training on a weekly basis. It's you tell one kid – something one way you tell another kid something the same way and one kid will get it one kid won't and so you you've got to kind of change it up but what my professional opinion on this is is that we've all been there um not in a football perspective but in a life perspective of where okay crap it's enough i'm down to my last chance and if and if i don't do something supernatural to my own abilities then i'm screwed and so what you end up finding yourself doing is reaching a point you didn't know you could reach Mm -hmm. Right, and and all of a sudden now that becomes the new norm. That's what I saw when I went to spring. What I saw when I went to spring practice early was his new normal is much different than his old normal was. And the and the only person that should get credit for that is Felipe. Is there was a point where he had to push himself beyond what he thought he was capable of, and then he found out not only am I capable of it, I'm capable of sustaining this for the rest of my career. Um, I do give Dan Mullen a little bit of credit from a play-calling perspective because I do think it was a little different. But sitting at a practice, the limitations are off. There are certain things that you're not going to do with Felipe because of his skill set. But the limitations that I think he had on with full-fill reads and stuff like that, they're off. And you're going to see a Felipe Frank said if there's an offensive line there, we'll be in the Heisman discussion six, seven, eight weeks in. All right, now let me ask you this. To that point, you know, it's a loaded quarterback room. Felipe is performing very well. He still has two years of eligibility left. Who knows if he'll stay for his Richard senior year, but potentially he could. We know about Kyle Trask. We know about Emory Jones, Jalen Jones, and they have a young man coming in in Anthony Richardson who's a part of the 2020 recruiting class. There's been a lot of talk recently, a lot of rumors, nothing really out of Gainesville, but just circulating in the air that could Emory Jones potentially want to get out because Felipe is performing so well now. Uh, Again, you've worked with Emory Jones. You know Emory Jones. You know people around Emory Jones. How much should we believe that there could be an issue where Emory Jones might enter the transfer portal? Here's the text that I got. I'm going to show you. We're recording this at 1048 at 1047. Wow, okay. Okay. As you were posing the question, the text that I just got from – Quincy Avery, who was Emory's quarterback trainer and a good friend of mine, literally says no truth to that. Okay. Well, there you I, go. I texted him and said, yo, hot take this morning is Emory may be leaving. And I said, true or not? He said, no truth to that. So, I'm going to go based on him. I mean, I, I don't – Now, potentially, Felipe leaves after this year. Emory Jones is a redshirt sophomore. He could be the starting quarterback in Gainesville 365 days from now. The only issue for Emory is if Felipe decides to stay and then – that's way down the that's line. That's down the line. I don't – yeah, that's down the line. So the way this thing is done is Emory was an early enrollee, right? He was an early enrollee. So if you think about it, the sweet spot, you want to keep quarterbacks two years because if they're an early enrollee and you keep them two football seasons, that means that they're a junior. So if they transfer and sit out, they might as well just stay and graduate transfer and not sit out, right? So that's the way this recruiting thing has gone is let's get them in early, let's get them on track to graduate in three, and then they they don't have to sit out. And that's from a college perspective and – when I'm advising our kids going to school is get in there, take your full load so that you can get out of here in three. If you need to either by draft or by graduate transfer into a place that you don't have to sit out like that. That's kind of the plan. As far as the quarterback room, 
there's questions in that quarterback room. Like, there's real questions in that quarterback room. There's no question with Felipe. Nobody knows what Trask is. Nobody has a clue. Anybody that says they know what Trask is is lying. Nobody's seen him play any meaningful football. Right? So you don't know what Trask is. Um, we have really no idea what Emory can do in a game situation other than a little bit we saw last year in what was that? Um, Georgia in the bowl game? Is right. that what it was? Yeah, and, and, and not I mean some meaningful snaps, but not very many. Not very many. He's in, he's an explosive guy that needs to rain down a little bit of some accuracy issues. And then Jalen Jones has been on campus Jaylen's three months. Yeah. Jalen's not ready. I, I, I talk to Jalen every week. And Jalen and I were talking this past weekend while I was actually in Georgia, and he's in the right frame of mind of, all right, coach, let's get to work because now I know where I'm weak at. And so, I, you know, he's a kid that's going to work till he gets there. Um so that quarterback room isn't as certain as what I think a lot of people think it is. It is Gator Bites on the 1010XL.com podcast network with Denny Thompson, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. You know, we talk about the transfer portal, Denny. Uh, will he or won't he, one of the quarterbacks, enter that? Well, we know a defensive end at Florida, the second defensive end, actually, in the last couple of months, Atonius Clayton, about a month, month and a half ago, and now Malik Langham, who is a four-star kid coming out of Huntsville, Alabama. I talked to Malik during the recruiting process, was all fired up about coming to Gainesville. It was announced earlier this week that he has entered the transfer portal. You've been doing this a long time. You followed recruiting a long time. After spring ball, is the writing essentially on the wall where, all right, I didn't get a lot of reps in the spring game. I got, you know, players A, B, and C ahead of me on the depth chart. Do I need to find greener pastures? Is that why we see a lot of these transfers after spring? I hope that's not the reason, um, and I don't think it is for most guys. I think most guys just realize they don't really like where they're at, you know, from literally a location standpoint. Like homesick. Whatever it is, yeah. right? Grass may be greener somewhere else. I actually tweeted about this last week is – this time last week, there was about 3,000 players in the transfer portal. Football players. 3,000? 3, 3,000. Wow. Football players. There's 11,000 in the whole portal. But football players, 3,000. Um, I would guess that after spring ends, that number is probably going to rise to about 4,000. The grass isn't always greener. Now, guys like we're talking about are going to get a shot. They're going to go to another ACC, SEC school because they're big-time ball players. Um, this transfer portal is dangerous, though is you're seeing a lot of people enter it because it's easy. And then they don't realize, I deal with this every single day, Hack, I've got some quarterbacks in the portal. It's hard. It's hard to get somebody to sign somebody that doesn't have four years of eligibility left. Mm -hmm. um, it's a hard thing. That didn't play at the previous school, right? So it's, it's, it's a tough thing. Now, from a Florida perspective, the easy thing as a Florida fan is to look at these things and go, well, we didn't want them anyway. They weren't on the field. No, no, trust me. These hurt. These hurt you. Well, and now you've lost two defensive ends. Depth. Yeah. Depth. Big-time depth. Guys who can play are leaving. And, and sure, they weren't starters, and that's what we're all conditioned to, but at the defensive line, there's a rotation. And you start losing depth on that, and it is going to hurt you. I agree. Malik Langham, again, has entered the transfer portal. He was a former four-star recruit out of Huntsville, Alabama. Now, we talked earlier. You have the unique perspective of what you do with six points and the quarterback training. You have visited Dan Mullen. Mm -hmm. and the Florida Gators this spring. You also took a visit to Georgia and saw Kirby Smart this spring up in Athens. As much, um, I guess, intel as you're willing to share, do a little compare and contrast, in Denny Thompson's opinion, what you saw in Gainesville that's going on right now compared to what you saw in Athens as far as atmosphere, coaching staff, et cetera. Yeah, I actually hit the three that I think most are 
are interested in. I, I hit a lot more than that, but I hit Florida, Florida State, and Georgia. Oh, you saw spring. Florida State yeah. a little? Okay. Um, but let's keep it Florida, Georgia for a second. Um, I, I saw two different things because when I went up to Georgia, Georgia was having a scrimmage. When I went to Florida, they were having a practice. That's very different deals. Um, but here's what I'll say about Georgia is the most professional place outside of Alabama I've ever been. Meaning when you go to these colleges, be it – everybody gets on to Taggart about this, but every college does it. it be, any other college, you go from room to room, there's music. There's, there's really loud, obnoxious music playing everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter if you're going into the training room, they're taping ankles. There's music. I can show you a video and you're going to be like, what the hell? Like, what, why are they? But it, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It doesn't matter where you go, there's music. I didn't hear music at all at Georgia. I was there literally all day from 9 o'clock in the morning till almost 5 o'clock. I, I didn't hear a single song. And it was just like their, their meeting structure is very professional. Their, their kids are held to a, a standard that you're going to be prepared not, not a month from now or six months from now, today. Like you're going to be prepared for today. When we go on that field, you're going to be prepared, and uh, it was it was impressive. It was impressive. Now, did you not see that at Florida? I didn't see. So Florida again, it was a practice. I came away from Florida saying it was the most organized practice I've ever seen in my life, and I still feel that way. Dan Mullen is running like an incredible, incredibly tight ship when it comes to everybody's moving, everybody's learning, everybody's getting better every minute they're on the field. At Georgia, they're in a scrimmage, so I didn't get to see their practice. So Georgia, they're literally. Their real scrimmage, they'll have their G-Day game, but the real scrimmage really takes place the week before. Right. You know, and it's closed most of the time. So this was completely closed, so I really can't talk about what they were doing. But where Georgia has the advantage right now, and it slapped me right in the face when I saw it, they're so good at the offensive line. So good. And I'm well, not I remember about- that. I mean, they've gotten between four- and five-star guys. I think they recruited 11 four- or five-star linemen in a two-year stretch. Think about that for oh, a second. It, and they're all there. And still. only five-start, obviously. Right. To your point, they're so good first-team, second-team, and third-team Yeah, that it allows them to do so much offensively that most people can't even think about doing. Kind of Clemson, same thing. And I'm not going to get into the X's and O's because I'll bore people to death, but let, let, me just, let me paint this picture. You have an insanely cerebral quarterback in Jake Fromm. A guy who knows everything about that offense. Like, when they're in the quarterback meeting room, he is as much the coach as Coley and Watson, the offense coordinator and quarterback coach, who were both in there. They they defer to him as much as they do teach. Right? That's that's how smart this kid is. And then you have an offensive line that may be the best in the country. You can do things that other people can't do. And so I, I just, you know, from a facility standpoint, Far and away the nicest I've seen. I mean, it's 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 not even close. And, and I haven't been to Bama in a couple of years, so I, I I won't say them. But so Georgia far superior facilities than Florida or Florida it's State. Not, it's not close. Okay, it's interesting. Close. Yeah, it's it's. And here's the crazy thing: they're breaking ground in December on another hundred million dollar building. Right. Like it's just it's like once you get behind in that facilities arms race, you're never going to catch. Well, up. that's all we've heard from Florida and, and the Gator fans. And obviously, if Jim McElwain did anything. And Gainesville over his three-year period there, at least he got the facilities up and running where they did some new things. How are Florida's facilities now, say, to some of the other schools you visited in the SEC and ACC? I mean, they're average, 
Average, they're going to be upper half. They're going to be upper third. Um, but here's the thing about facilities. Like, people need to get off of this thought of facilities recruit. Facilities will recruit some kids, but your major kids, they're getting offers from everybody has got facilities. Major kids want to go to the NFL, the quickest way to get to the NFL. I, it's so good you said that. I asked so many of these kids, and I've talked to, gosh, hundreds, if not yep. a thousand of them over the last two, two and a half years facilities very rarely come up in the recruiting game. They, they it's don't. how it's, close can I stay to home? Can my parents see me? How they, can I get to the league? They're going to get me paid. Yeah, and, and it's it's functional facilities. That's what you want. You want functional, and that's what Georgia has. Georgia has everything right there except for the stadium. The stadium's a bus ride. But their practice facilities, everything's right there. Their indoor facility, my gosh. Like, I didn't even know this thing existed. It's, it's dug like 50 or 60 feet into the ground – and it's high enough that you can go in there and do full special teams. Wow. And it's got this – I was watching the Masters in there. It's got this big old video board right there. It's just they're, they're, they're miles ahead when it comes to that, and they're staying ahead. Um, the staff out there is first class. Um, are there bad things? Sure, but I'm not going to get on here and talk about them. Just like I said on a radio show, just like I'm not at Florida or Florida State or any of these things, these people invite me in um, with a level of trust – and I literally sit there and talk to the head coaches and the coordinators. I, I you know, I'm not going to spill beans. No, I, I yeah, I would, and I wasn't saying you. I and just, I would never ask you to. do I always that. get that tweet. Right, right. No, and I get it. Uh, you know, you talk about. There's a lot of Gator fans listening here to Gator Bites. A lot of Gator fans listening to 1010 XL that think they're going to be ready to compete with Georgia on the field come the cocktail party in October. And look, that was a ball game for three quarters last year. That goal line stand, I mean, Florida's in that game, and then they just wore down in the fourth quarter, and Elijah Holyfield did his thing, and Georgia ran away with it. I don't feel the final score last year was indicative of how close that game was. It was 19 points, right? Right. I I think Florida played them tougher than that. Georgia was still better. What about on the field this year? I mean, Florida fans believe they're close to Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Florida may compete. No, Florida may compete, but here's where I'm at with this. Florida's a ways away from a program perspective. So there's – Dan Mullen is such an elite play caller that maybe he finds a way like he did last year where, I mean, let's be honest, Felipe misses the the trick play. Yeah, right. which was it. wide open. Overthrows it. So maybe he finds some weaknesses and finds some things that keeps them in the ball game, and maybe they even win. I don't know. But from a program perspective and where these two programs are, Florida's behind. Let me ask you this. You bring up the Georgia offensive line, and like we said, 11 four five-star guys over a two-recruiting class period. Just ridiculous. An embarrassment of riches. Florida's offensive line, they have some good young talent. I mean, I think they got like five four-stars in their own right last recruiting cycle, but they're young. They haven't played, and these guys are going to have to play. You know, we were talking on XL Primetime. You know, realistically, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it could. You could have two, maybe three true or redshirt freshmen. Well, I think it will. That are going to have to play and maybe start. I, I think it will. Along that, I mean, Garage is going to start at tackle. If, if they don't hit the transfer portal and get lucky on a couple kids, I think they I think they will. And by the way, Florida's been doing that for the last couple of years. And Mullen came out and kind of addressed the offensive line saying there's work to do. I mean, how – I know we talked about it about a month ago, and maybe the concern wasn't high then, but when you hear Mullen come out and say, they got some work to do in that area come the summer and the fall, how concerned should Gator fans be very. about that offensive line? Very, very. because and, and a lot more concerned than you've been in the past because in the past you didn't have the skill position guys that where you went, God, if we only had a line, we'd be putting up 50. 
You do now. Yeah. You do. It may be the best wide receiving core Florida's had in over a decade. It is. I think you're right. I, I think all the way around, like, just if you take that whole combo, quarterback, running back, tight end, and, and wide receiver, just the synergy that they have together and how talented that, that core group is, the, the, backs, the, the back half of the offense, it's as good as it's been. Like, it is a major concern, and I am sure that the coaching staff right now at Florida is combing through this portal and watching so much film that their eyes are bleeding on offensive linemen. Um, you want a funny story about Georgia real quick? Sure. So I brought my wife and my, my youngest son, Walker. I saw the photos. They look good. Yeah, we went. Of course, Carson was up there. And the whole point of my trip is always to go and f- f- hear what they're doing because they recruit a bunch of our kids. And, of course, Carson is, is going. But when we got there, Todd Hartley, who was the tight ends coach, recruits this area, used to be at Miami, greets us and tells me, we're converting your son right in front of you today. <laughs> and the first thing they do is they walk him into, uh, into the guy who, com- who, who recruited Herschel Walker's office. One-on-one conversation, because that's who my son was named after. And then right into Kirby Smart. And the whole thing. And then we get into this van, which they are using to transport me and my wife and Walker. And it's this Mercedes Sprinter van that's all decked out in Georgia stuff with two TVs. And they say, wait two minutes before you go in there. Okay. They're like, it's got to warm up. So I wait two minutes. The guy waves us in. He opens the door. We walk in. What are they playing? Florida-Georgia game. Wow, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. Of I'm like, they there's are. a whole new level of petty right here, fellas, and they're just laughing. They're good guys. Like, they're all good guys. Florida State's good guys. Florida's good guys. Like, all of them are really good dudes that are wearing a color that some people don't like. Yeah. And, and look, Georgia, uh, they got the, the bragging rights over the Gators right now. No question, Florida's hoping to turn that around come October. Finally, here on Gator Bites, I did get a – not a kick out of it, but it caught my interest. Pete Prisco, who we have on 1010XL all the time, he joins the Francis Show every week. He put out his 20 most underrated draft prospects going into the draft. Believe it or not, the NFL draft's next week. Thank kind God. of snuck up on us Thank a little God. bit. Well, I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, with, with the Masters and spring football and everything, and it's just kind of snuck up on me. I look at the schedule. I'm like, wow, it's next week. Um, we've talked a lot about Jawan Taylor. We've talked a lot about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. But Prisco, out of all the hundreds of guys available in this year's draft, listed his 20 most underrated. He had Rosan Joseph on that list. Uh, saying that he just loves Joseph a lot more than maybe some of the scouts have liked Joseph to this point. What's your thought on former Gator Vosan Joseph, and do you believe he is underrated going into this year's draft? I mean, I think he's going to be a second- or third-round pick, right? Isn't that what he's slotted on? I've seen him projected kind of all over the place. High is the ceiling's probably second. I've seen him in the fourth and some. But, yeah, yeah think, anywhere in that range. I think second or third is dead on for him. I think he's got to be in the right system to flourish. Um. He's a good player, but even at Florida, there were times where he made spectacular plays, and there were games where it's like, hey, what happened to that kid? Yeah. Like, you didn't hear his name at all. I remember the shot he put on the LSU, the LSU quarterback. That was, yeah, that was, his, that was his coming out party. But uh, I, I think second or third round, he's, no, I don't think he's underrated at second or third. I think that's about right. I, I think anything outside of late first, early second, I know we're going to talk about it, is, is, is underrated for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yeah. But Vojan Joseph. You're very high on Gardner I Johnson. I love the kid. Yeah, yeah, I love the kid. But I I think Joseph, yeah, I mean, I think if he went early to mid-third, I think that's about right. How would you assess the Gator draft class? Jawan Taylor is going to go very early. We've talked about Gardner Johnson. I don't know what to make of Ja'Kai Polite. Ja'Kai Polite's a guy that was projected round one. He goes to the combine and just makes 
a fool of himself, apparently, in some of those meetings. So now he's all over the board in these mocks. We talked about Vosan Joseph. You got Jordan Scarlett. Never mind the fact Martez Ivy and CeCe Jefferson, the two five stars for Jim McElwain and his three-year tenure there, are getting no play whatsoever. I'm very curious, Danny, to see, A, where all these Gator guys end up, and B, the impact they're going to have beginning in uh, OTAs and, and in minicamps. My first thought about the class is, why have – if this is the class and these guys have all been here, why have the Gators been so far behind the last couple of years? Um, they should have been better. That that's that's my first thought. You want to talk about underrated, like Jordan Scarlett. Yeah, I like Jordan Scarlett. I, I'd love to see Jordan Scarlett here in Jacksonville. Reminds me kind of like a Marion Barber kind he's, of guy. Yeah, he's that's a good call. Yeah, no, he's I mean, fast, powerful, didn't get a ton of touches, so still fresh. Like I mean I that's what happens with a credit card situation. <laughs> poor, a poor man's Josh Jacobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, Ooh, really, I like that. That's really what he is. I, I I, think he may be underrated, but, I mean, solid class. I, it'll be interesting to see what Martez, especially Martez Ivy. I think CeCe's a little small. But Martez Ivy could be that dude that you look up, you know, 10 years from now. He's still playing in the NFL. Final thought on Gator by its answer me this. Leon Searcy's brought this up a lot on XL Primetime. I've heard other people bring it up as well. All the talk about Jawan Taylor to Jacksonville, every mock draft, Jawan Taylor to Jacksonville. You know Jawan Taylor. You know the backstory of Jawan Taylor. Why did he never get moved to left tackle? The knock on him is he's a right tackle and a right tackle only. If he was the best offensive lineman on the Gator squad, why was he always the right tackle? Why did he never move to the left side? It could be a bunch of different things. Uh, One could be that he was much more dominant in the run game. It's easier to play action right. It's easier to run right. It's easier to sell it right. So there, that could be one reason. It could be anything from that to when they recruited the five-star Martez Ivy, they sold him on, we're going to play you at left tackle, which is the money position. And there was a promise there. It could be anything in between there. I, I think probably reading into it, anything other than that, is probably reading into it a little bit too much. Um, my hunch is it's a little bit of both. Is We want him on the right side. Um, he's an athletic kid. And so – we can RPO, we can we can do all that kind of stuff that we need to do on the right side, which is easier on the right side. The left side really f- serves one purpose, and that's protecting the back Protect side. Protect the back side, the blind side. Right. The right tackle in today's game is is crazy important. Like Leon Cersei makes a lot more money today than he did when he was playing. I'll tell you the crazy thing. You want to talk about where the NFL is gone? Trent Brown, former Florida Gator, signs a four-year, $66 million deal with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Trent Brown, $66 mm-hmm. million here in 2019. Leon Searcy was a free agent in 1996, 23 mm-hmm. years ago. Signed a five-year deal for 17 and a half. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. It We're is. talking $50 million It is. Between Trent Brown in 2019 and all-pro Leon Searcy in 1996. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. That it's- really puts things into perspective. Sports Den, weeknights, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. I know what you're going to say. I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> what do you and Big Game James have coming up the rest of the week? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> just throw it together throw, no throw darts at a dartboard you could ask me five minutes before we go on no idea well that's what makes the show great you hear him every night denny thompson and big game james coleman denny will do it again next week yes sir for denny i'm the hacker ryan green you'll catch me on xl primetime weekdays noon to three on 1010 xl and 92.5 fm thank you guys for listening to gator bites on the 1010xl.com podcast network we'll talk to you in seven days